0: Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, in partnership with the American College of Emergency Physicians, we'll be exploring the theater of war production and learn how it's being used as a tool to help frontline healthcare workers cope with the dire realities of the pandemic and focus on better mental health. To discuss this, our Theater of War Productions Artistic Director, Brian Dorries, and American College of Emergency Physician members, Dr. Diane Birnbomber with UCLA, and Dr. Jay Kaplan of Louisiana State University. Thank you all for being with me. To start, I'd like to go to Artistic Director of Theater of War, Brian Dorries. Brian, what is the purpose of Theater of War?
1: So Theater of War is a um, public health project that presents readings of ancient Greek War Plays by Sophocles to open up discussions about challenging subjects. It got its start with the U.S. military back in 2008, 2009, and we've toured it all over the country and the world using readings of ancient plays to open up dialogue about mental health, suicide, moral distress, and moral injury, burnout, the impact of war on families. And the purpose of the project is really just to create a vocabulary and a grammar uh, for talking about really challenging subjects. One of the characters in Sophocles' play Ajax says, how can I speak the unspeakable? And I would say that the purpose of Theater of War is to help people speak the unspeakable.
0: Thank you, Brian, for your input. It's just an amazing medium to be able to discuss such difficult topics. Dr. Birnbomber, you experienced Theater of War firsthand. How does a Greek tragedy, thousands of years old, help with mental health in the medical field? And what
2: about this production resonated the most with you? It's an, a unique way of accessing things that we just don't usually even acknowledge. You know, even before the pandemic started, healthcare providers in the United States were suffering from really alarming rates of burnout. It was kind of eye popping. And in fact, even our resident physicians, up to 75% of them, felt they were burned out before the pandemic. And then the pandemic was like throwing gasoline on embers. You know, the stress level exploded and overwhelming numbers of sick and dying patients came into our emergency departments and our ICUs and our hospitals. And we had shortages we never thought we would deal with, medication and equipment shortages. And we were afraid for our own health and, and afraid about taking this disease home to our families and having our families get sick and die to the point where we even lived apart from our families. And then toss into that, the rampant misinformation and sort of flaunting of what were public health recommendations it just left healthcare workers and healthcare providers frustrated and angry and, and just no outlet for those feelings. And, and in fact, those are feelings who were really, weren't really ever allowed to acknowledge. And now the pandemic continues to rage on with no end in sight. So our usual self-care practices that we have really fell short. Things like meditation and eating well and exercising and talking it out with friends just didn't really cut it. And then Brian Dory's and the Theatre War Productions entered at least my life. So I've been fortunate enough to view two of these productions, one that was during our national meeting back in October and another that was this production of Ajax that Brian was just referring to. And David Strathern portrayed Ajax in that production, and he burst from my computer screen as someone who felt betrayed, as someone whose best friend had died, as someone who had committed unspeakable acts. And his final act was to fall on his sword and commit suicide despite the pleas of his spouse. Every single emotion he felt, the betrayal, the loss, the self-loathing, and even the suicidal thoughts and hopelessness, it just moved me to tears and allowed me to access thoughts that that up until then had been hard to express and actually things that you just weren't even really allowed to think. You know, sometimes these verboten things have to be tapped and exposed and felt. And I have to tell you, watching this thing was a remarkable release in a way I never expected. We've
0: always known that arts can trigger emotion and strong ones at that Thank you, Dr. Birnbaumer, for sharing your experience. Brian, I'd like to turn the conversation back to you now. Where did you first get the idea of tying together Greek tragedy and mental health?
1: I grew up in a household as the son of two psychologists. So you can imagine the kind of conversations we had around the dinner table each night, or maybe you can. I studied classics uh, in college. The first play I was ever in was Euripides' Medea as a child at age uh, nine. And it had a big impact on me. And I grew up in a community that was surrounded by the military, uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, but where there was, um, I I didn't have direct contact with the military. And if you take those three things together, you basically have the project. But for me, the the real catalyst for trying to assimilate all these different aspects of my own upbringing in life was that in my early 20s, I was a caregiver for um, a girlfriend who died of cystic fibrosis after having a double lung transplant and over a 20 month period had scores of surgeries and died in our apartment in the East village. And I was um, 26 years old. And, and um, that experience pushed me to places that I didn't know as a young person existed. And um, I met the limits of my own compassion. I felt helpless in the face of someone else's suffering. I, um, dealt with things like loss and grief and all, all kinds of things. And I also spent a lot of time in hospitals and um, uh, engaged with medical professionals. And in those last few months, especially with palliative care and hospice professionals, and it changed my life. It rearranged my molecules. And when it was all over, and in some ways, Laura's death was one of the most humbling and, and graceful experiences, aside from the birth of my own daughter, I've ever had. And it, it showed me that death was an opportunity for the making of meaning and connection. And that illness was also an opportunity for the making of meaning and connection. It sent me back to these ancient Greek plays I'd studied in college. And uh, all of a sudden, the plays spoke to me, these ancient stories of uh, suffering patients and conflicted caregivers and people uh, wrestling with large spiritual questions in the face of immense and cataclysmic trauma the, the plays spoke to me as if they'd been written for me or about me. And they actually provided uh, a great deal of solace in the period after I lost my girlfriend. And so I had this idea that if I could simply put these ancient stories in front of audiences who'd experienced the extremities the plays described, that maybe the plays could also be a source of uh, relief or solace for, for those professionals or those people. And so the first performance we ever did was at Weill Cornell a Hospital on the Upper East Side um, for medical professionals and um, students and, and doctors and um, residents. And we performed uh, scenes from an ancient play called Philoctetes, which is a play about a chronically ill warrior who's abandoned on an island on account of a chronic illness he contracts on the way to the Trojan War. And the play's about what happens when the Greeks go back to get him when they learn they can't win the war without him from an oracle. And we performed the play. And, and as soon as the play was, uh, the, re- the reading was over, um, we engaged the audience in a conversation. And it became very clear uh, almost immediately that although I translated the play from ancient Greek and though I thought I knew what it was about and though I even had been, been drawn to it for very personal reasons, the audience knew more than I did about the play that the audience of medical professionals, many of whom, most of whom we'd never heard of the play, it's an obscure play even for those in the classics world, that they knew more than I did and had more to teach me than I to teach them about the themes that the play explored. And that's what set Theater of War off on this journey um, that's led to many other communities that have experienced trauma and loss and the limits of their own compassion and moral suffering and burnout. Um, those very themes that I had experienced as a young caregiver uh, with my own girlfriend. So it's very, it was very personal for me. And it took about 100 performances for various audiences, medical, military, prisons, um, addiction, uh, all kinds of pl- places where we had um, performed to realize that as much as it was for audiences to help them, it was also helping me to be able to create the conditions where people would talk about the themes that we as a culture and a society repress so i would just say about the arts um in in answer to your question you know um in the ancient world there really wasn't a distinction between the arts and medicine the the word pion in greek is a healing hymn to apollo it's a form of medicine song was actually a form of medicine itself and um, the theater of dionysus where the greeks performed the very plays we perform for medical audiences sat directly next to in the late fifth century, the temple of Asclepius, the very place where people went to be healed by the doctors uh, descended from the God of medicine, Asclepius, those who studied in his school. And so the very clinic was an earshot of the theater. I think it's only in the sort of 19th and 20th century that we make these distinctions between theater and medicine or, or humanities and medicine uh, as, as medicine becomes more and more specialized and commodified. So, The reason it works and the reason that it functions so well with medical audiences is precisely because it doesn't feel like medicine. And yet I would argue that it is.
0: IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network, timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to covid19learningnetwork.org. Thank you for sharing the impact that this Incredible medium is making on our frontline healthcare workers. Dr. Kaplan, turning to you now, how did this experience change you? And as a physician, did you find the experience healing?
3: No question about it. We have a tendency in medicine, and especially in emergency medicine, to have to deal with what's right in front of us. So you can deal with a terrible trauma, and then in comes a patient with a heart attack, and then in comes another trauma and we deal with what's right in front of us, uh, we often have to kind of push down our feelings. And we also have a little bit of the Superman syndrome in, in medicine, which is, I can handle it. I made it through medical school, residency, and how many ever years of practice, and I can pretty much handle anything that comes in. This pandemic, uh, as Dr. Bernbaumer said, has layered a whole different kind of burnout on what we were already experiencing. The reason is, is that in, in times past, um, we could lose a patient or two on a shift, but not six or eight. That's what's happened. We, we see death wherever we gaze. I traveled around. I was asked by my health system to travel around and talk with our different clinical units. So i go on and I'd, I'd Number one, give them permission to have the feelings that they were feeling, whether it be grief, sadness, uh, uncertainty, fear. And then I'd try to assure them that we were hearing what they were asking for and we were gonna protect them. Listening to the theater of war, and and I've been lucky to participate in two and then to hear an additional two, um, is a profound experience um, because what I realized was that sadness and grief are accepted emotions in healthcare. Um, anger is not. And at one point, I thought to myself, you know, I've had enough. I've had enough sadness. I've had enough grief. I've had enough fear. I've had enough uncertainty, maybe not enough anger. <clears throat> and listening to and participating in the theater of war really made me get in touch with the rage that I was feeling, and rage that had to do with loss of um, one's close, rage that had to do with watching family members having to say goodbye to loved ones from a distance rather than holding their hands. Also, anger at um, the lack of leadership really from the top because there was no mom or dad there's nobody at the federal level who was saying we're going to help you take care of this so understanding as brian was talking about that theater um, can be a catalyst and can put us in touch with what our feelings are and any feeling that is fully expressed and done so accurately identified and in a safe environment will eventually dissipate. If we hold it in, then it makes us sick just as we continue to try to take care of of those who come to us. What my experience with theater of war helped me do was be in touch with my whole range of emotions, which then allows me to heal, which then allows me to help others heal because the basis of healing is not about what we do to our patients. It's how we are with our patients. And it's about our connection to our patients. It's about our connection to ourselves. It's about our connection to our families. And if we're aware of our emotions, and if we are given permission, as participating in theater of war did for me, to feel the whole range of emotions, it can be a truly healing experience.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kaplan, for sharing your thoughts.
2: Dr. Birnbomber, I invite you to do the same. So I'll tell you, one of the things that healed me the most about this experience, I watched this with my husband, who's also an emergency physician. So we've were able, we been able to talk about this a lot, and we have talked about it a lot, and what it offered us. But I'll tell you, one of the things that helped me the most, I, J, Dr. Kaplan has been a colleague of mine for a very long time, and I have a great deal of respect for him. He's always been a sort of put-together, incredibly um, erudite communicator and watching him on the screen, watching him watch one of these productions and watching him be able to access a part of him that I've never seen before, um, that rage, allowing him to show that and express that and share that was it cracked open a door for me that that let me be angry. I think let a lot of other people watching this be angry um, and acknowledge that, that thing that we in medicine are never allowed to do. We're never allowed to be mad. We're never allowed to be especially angry at the system or even sometimes our patients. And watching Jay tap that in himself for me was a phenomenal open open door. And it's let me talk to other people about their rage. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to self-destruct because of it. It's not okay to lash out because of it, but it is completely okay to acknowledge it. And perhaps even eventually, hopefully turn it into action somewhere down the line. Uh, That to me was probably the most, the thing that stuck with me the most was watching a colleague of mine. I have an extraordinary amount of respect for tap something that was very important for all of us to acknowledge and be able to work with and move forward from. Thank you, Dr. Birnbomber, for
0: sharing. This last question I'd like to direct to the entire panel, and it has to do with what you each learned from the theater of war and how the production helps to facilitate the conversation regarding mental health and our healthcare workers. Dr. Kaplan, I'd like to hear your thoughts first.
3: We have a choice uh, in healthcare. Um, We can keep our patients at a distance or we can connect to them. If we're gonna connect to them, then we're gonna pick up some of their energy, uh, take in some of their energy and people don't come to us with their joy. Uh, They come to us with their um, anxiety. They come to us with our pain. They come to us with their sadness and at times grief. We are going to take that in. You've probably heard the term second victim Post-traumatic stress is when a person experiences a stress and continues to relive it. Secondary traumatic stress is when you yourself don't experience it, but you're with someone who does and you're going to pick up some of their energy. If we hold that inside um, as we often have to and often do, then eventually it's going to make us sick unless we find some way to channel it out of our bodies and to transform it, as Dr. Birnbaum said, into constructive action, even into creative art. And for me, what the theater of war has done, it's put me in touch once again with the fact that theater can be that creative transformation. Theater can assist and uh, give physicians a channel through which to experience their feelings and improve their mental health. And of course, not just physicians, anyone who really watches it, who uh, allows themselves and gives themselves some opening and permission to be in touch with what's being expressed. It can be very transformative and in that way, very healing and very good for our mental health. Unhappy doctors and nurses don't make for happy patients. Unhealthy doctors and nurses don't make for healthy patients. If we can help transform ourselves then um, we can assist our patients as well. One more quick thing I'll mention, which is it's not just about relationships to our patients. As Dr. Birnbaum said, it's about relationship to our family and to our significant other. And the more we can create better mental health for ourselves, the more we can feel the love and give love to those who
2: deserve it around us. Most people who are listening to this Um, may not get a chance to experience the theater of war, the theater of war productions. And I hope that you at least go online and look at what's coming down the line because it's worth even watching, even if it's not related to medicine, just the process. But separate from that, I, I think this idea of beauty and art everything is dark right now. Everything seems dark and dismal. And it's just, I've, I've had a point where I don't even watch the news anymore. I just can't stand it. But one of the things that's important about the theater of war is it, it like Jay mentioned, Dr. Kaplan mentioned, it offered this idea of there is actually arts out there and a whole nother part of our, we're all very left brain science, these kind of people who process in that way. And I think that to find a different way to process things is an opportunity to open a door to to again access things that you hide away from yourself. So one of the things that I've noticed of my colleagues that are coping better than others is they've found a way other than the meditation and things that they used to do, a way that's related to the arts that has helped them find a way to to express the emotions that they can't get into. Um, Anything from painting to sculpture, to pottery, to writing. And I think anyone listening to this if you think you're strictly a left-brained person, I guarantee you're not. So try something, do something crazy. Get it, get some acrylic paint and throw it on a, on a on a just slap it on a on a canvas, and you'll be amazed at how released you will feel. It's just another way to try to access this. We talking to each other is crucial. You reaching out to others, and you, if you see someone struggling, reach out to them, that's vital. But try this as an access point. I think what Brian's tapped into here is this idea that arts. We're whole people. We're not just scientists. We're whole people, and it's another way to become whole again. It's healing as well as a release. Thank you, doctors. Brian, any final thoughts?
1: Well, I'll just say this: you know, I, I would argue that plays don't mean anything, um, and theater of war doesn't mean anything. It it, it it's not a lesson to be extracted. Uh, plays do something, and uh, theater does something, and it's, and you know we've lost touch with what it does because it's become commodified, like medicine. And by virtue of becoming commodified, it's been dehumanized. But anyone can do it, and all cultures do do it. I feel like what we're listening to, and I, it's wonderful hearing Dr. Barron Bommer and Dr. Kaplan speak about their experiences, I think it helps the audience get a sense for what the experience of seeing and hearing your own struggles and the struggles of your colleagues and friends and loved ones reflected in an ancient story does. What it does is it opens us up, uh, it helps us connect with each other, both in the room and across the country and the world via Zoom and across time uh, via these ancient stories. I think most critically, it shows us that we're not alone. And, and you know, you hear people say, oh, you're not alone. And it's, you know, it sounds very trite. It's, not, it's hard to actually hold that and understand it and, and, and come to some discovery of it on your own and for it to mean something. And I am not the only person who's ever felt this alone. I'm not the only person who's ever felt this sense of loss. I'm not the only person who's ever felt this moral failing that weighs over me, Um, that this is as old as humanity itself. That realization is what these ancient stories provide. And it turns out, as indicated by the doctors in this podcast, The culture of medicine was in crisis before the pandemic and the pandemic has accelerated many crises. I would venture to guess that whether there is actually a medical system after this is all over is actually hangs in the balance of what clinicians do and how we as a culture and a society outside of the world of medicine support them. And we have to move beyond facile expressions of hero worship and applause and really bear witness to the choices they're having to make on our behalf and help them shoulder the burden of the pollution uh, as the Greeks did as a society, the pollution of those, those decisions, the miasma in Greek. And so it's not, hey, you clinician, you shoulder the burden of the pandemic. You shoulder it in isolation Uh, with no outlet forever expressing your rage or your loss or your grief or your conflicted feelings no it's we collectively will come together as citizens and shoulder the pollution of this pandemic together and i think that's what theater was designed to do in the ancient amphitheater in ancient greece and the beauty of it is it's like any other technology that's well designed you plug it into the right audience Like an external hard drive, it knows what to do and the audience knows what to do in return. And that's because this is fundamental to who we are as a species. I mean, I hear those arguments about left and right brain, but I also feel like this is just who we are. We need stories to help mediate our own experiences, to give voice to things that we naturally wish to repress. And what the Greeks show us, the ancient Greeks, is that there has to be a place. There has, it's not adaptive when performing a surgery or intubating a patient to be crying or to be overwhelmed with emotion, but there has to be a place to express all of those things. You cannot indefinitely uh, compartmentalize as the culture of medicine has inculcated and taught generation after generation. There has to be a place. There has to be a time for these experiences and feelings to be shared and communalized and collectively shouldered together. And I think that's what Theater of War helps to do. And as Dr. barman mentioned, there's many other, many other roads to this. After an early performance in a hospital in New York, um, I met a doctor named Horton Johnson, and he'd written a paper about one of the plays we performed. And he was in his 80s at the time. And I asked him, Well, how did you hear about these plays? If you're, you know, a physician, why would you have studied them? And he said, Oh, we had to study them in medical school. And I said, Well, what do you mean you studied them in medical school? So well, people studied Greek plays and med- he said, Yes. And he said, I, I studied under the great Nobel Prize winning cardiologist Dickinson Richards. And he made all of us read the Greek tragedies because they were as essential to the practice of medicine itself than anything else we would learn. The culture of medicine has become very specialized and has lost touch with that fundamental humanity. And what the pandemic is showing us is if we don't regain that humanity, if we don't help clinicians find it, um, there may not be medicine, uh, at least a medical culture to speak of after this is over. And those are the stakes of the current crisis. And that's why it's so inspiring to hear people like Dr. Kaplan, a leader in his field, uh, get up in front of his fellow colleagues and say, I burnt out and this is what it looks like. And if you don't open up, you too will burn out. And this is the only way forward. And that's what the Greeks knew, and it's wonderful to relearn it with such such uh, sensitive and compelling leaders like the ones on this podcast.
0: At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Kaplan and Bomber and Brian Dorries for sharing their experiences, their time, and for their participation. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's real-time learning network, covid19learningnetwork.org. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the very latest on this evolving pandemic. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast. I'm Nadia Singh.